0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about speeding. Seems like there's an awful lot of idiots, not just speeding, but obliterating the speed limit. Last week, there was a guy who got caught doing 254 kilometers an hour. What is going on? Sergeant Kerry Schmidt from the OPP will join us. We're also going to chat about some incredibly boneheaded comments around childhood sexual assault by some people who really should know better, including Barbara Streisand. What is she thinking? Was she dropped on her head recently? Because her comments would suggest she was. And then Don Robertson, not dropped on his head, joins us to talk sports. All coming up.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: There are seemingly more idiots, more morons more disrespectful, uninterested, pick whatever word you want, people on our roads and on our highways today than I recall from any time before. There was a time, of course, when drinking and driving was the thing that was, it was okay for a while. And I don't mean it was okay, but socially it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing that was going to be getting you in a lot. Then all of a sudden something changed. It, It was socially sort of acceptable. Then it became completely unacceptable. Now, if you drink and drive, you are a jerk. You're a pariah. Well, then we got to the point of texting, distracted driving, much more recently. But now, I think we have probably reached the point where distracted driving is seen as a, you're a jerk if you do this. People's lives can be cut short. We've seen this happen before. You've seen those commercials. We know that this is now something that is not socially acceptable. Well, it seems as though we are doing a full circle swing around because the very first thing that was made to be not acceptable was speeding. We all know that, you know, everyone speeds a little bit. Is it a good defense to say everyone does it? No. Is it reality, however? I think so. If there is a person out there listening right now who has never when they've been behind the wheel of a car has never exceeded the speed limit by a one kilometer an hour. You are Mother Teresa because everybody else has done this. Again, doesn't make it a good thing. It's just a reality. But now what we are seeing is a whole lot of people apparently doing not one kilometer over, not 10 kilometers and over, a kilometers an hour over, not 19 kilometers an hour over, which, by the way, we all know. If you're on the highway and you have your cruise control, yeah, you set it to 19, and therefore the police aren't going to nab you because they're going to stop you when you get to 20. We, we know how people think. We know how the system works. But we're not even talking about 19 over or 20 or 30 over. The OPP are regularly now, regularly now, pulling people over who are doing 60, 70, 80 kilometers an hour over the limit. Much more than that. On the weekend on Centennial Parkway, there was a 41-year-old guy who was pulled over doing 134 in a 70 zone. That was tweeted out. That was, we, we were told about that one, but that's, that's barely the start of it. That's barely the start of it. Last week on the 21st, so the 21st would have been last, what, Thursday, something like that, last Thursday night. There was a guy who was on the 403, 227 kilometers an hour, 227 kilometers an hour on the 403. I'm assuming that stretch of the road was 100. I think it all is 100 along there. 227 kilometers an hour. That was amateur hour, though. That was that was just a warm-up because just shortly after that, the OPP sent out a tweet pointing to a picture of a guy who was busted doing 254 kilometers an hour. I don't even know how you do that. I'm reasonably sure that 154 kilometers an hour, my car couldn't do 154 kilometers an hour, let alone 154 over the limit. Not even a chance. So I'm looking at this going, what is going on? And what is, the, what is the reason why we suddenly now have all these people who are seemingly doing all kinds of incredibly stupid stuff? Kerry Schmidt is a sergeant with the OPP. Uh, he's been one of the guys who's been tweeting this out and letting people know. He joins us now. Kerry, thanks for doing this today.
2: Hey, no problem. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Although, uh, we've just as we've been trying to get you, we've just been talking about these numbers and these people and the number of speeders. What is going on?
2: Well, yeah, you know what? Uh, even in the last week, uh, again, huge numbers, and the demographics uh, speak volumes as well. Uh, Sixty, uh, was it 63 drivers uh, charged with street racing in the last seven days. And we haven't had a whole lot of spring, but we've had some nice weather. Uh, we've had more motorcycles on the roads, but 63 uh, vehicles are in impound right now uh, because drivers are taking them either uh, 50 or more kilometers over the speed limit or street racing with other people. And you saw some of the speeds that we had this past week, up to 245 kilometers per hour. Like that's ridiculous. Uh,
0: as I said before, I don't even think my car could get up that fast. But nonetheless, <laughs> the fact that somebody would, and and just we got to take a break in just a second. But. Th- There is no way that this is accidental. I mean, I I really believe that you could get your, if you're on the highway, you can get up to 120, maybe 125. You get into the flow of traffic and suddenly you're like, wow, I'm going fast. There's no way you can get up to 254 without intending to do that.
2: Oh, absolutely. Not at all. These guys are going and pushing their cars for all they're worth. And maybe they're coming from the track or maybe they just uh, need to... Uh, you know, fill some inadequacies in other parts of their lives, and maybe thinking going fast is going to do that. So, yeah. you know, the thing is, the guys that are doing this are all guys, boys, I'll call them, between eighteen and twenty-five. That's the biggest demographic. So, you know, maybe they suffer in other areas of their lives, and this is how they feel they can make
1: up for it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Chatting with Sergeant Kerry Schmidt of the OPP about the seemingly growing number it seems like a huge number of people all of a sudden deciding they are going to drive not speed not speed a little bit obliterate the speed limit 200 215 250 kilometers an hour on our streets um is this is this a pattern that is changing or have we always seen this are we seeing more of these because it seems
1: like it
2: yeah, well, it, it certainly does. Uh, really, we're not seeing more uh, than maybe we have in the past. And actually, I compare the first three months of this year compared to the first three months of last year, we're actually down slightly uh, over last year. Uh, we had 453 stunt drivers, street racers charged at January, February, and March. Uh, and last year was just over 500. And so uh, we've had a pretty brutal winter, but doing 150, 160, 170 uh, in minus 20, minus 30 temperatures, uh, who knows if there's been snow on the ground at all or not, or slippery roads. But uh, doing those kinds of speeds on your winter tires, those aren't performance tires, uh, and it doesn't matter. The rules are the rules. 100 kilometers per hour. limit for the highways Uh, we're sharing the road with trucks and cars and drivers of all the different kinds of experience levels you have no idea what's going on just a couple of car lengths in front of you and someone swerves in front or changes lanes in front of you you've got no escape
0: just i want to talk about that for a second but i don't even know how does a police officer pull over a car that's going 254 kilometers an hour honestly because you guys aren't going to get up to that speed
2: well, no, and uh, and one thing that uh, a lot of drivers think of uh, as soon as they're they're flooring it down the highway, and as soon as they see the uh, the black and white police car sitting off on the shoulder, they're on the brakes hard, and uh, and and they slow and they go by us thinking, all right, good stuff, I I got slowed down in, in time. If you look at that picture I posted uh, that shows the 254 speed limit, you'll notice that the officer who targeted that vehicle. Targeted it at over 620 meters away from him as it was approaching. And so, over half a kilometer away, we, we long know already how fast you're going. You're not even looking that far. We got a scope where we're, we can double and, and see and focus right in on that car. And by the time they see us at maybe 200 meters away or, or whatever distance they are, and they stuff on the brakes, they, they slide by at uh, 120, 130, hoping we're not going to stop them. But, and, uh, and so they pull over. Uh, they pull over in this case, and uh, unbeknownst to them that yeah no we, we saw you speeding half a kilometer back when you were still doing your uh, uh, aircraft uh, on approach yeah. uh, for Pearson Airport. Because
0: that is, I, I, you're not being funny. That actually is I think the speed or close to it that an aircraft is going to be getting to.
2: Absolutely, yeah. A plane coming in on uh, on final approach is usually going about 140 or maybe your pilots can it can enlighten me, but 140 150 miles an hour over the threshold. Uh, and this guy was doing 100 60, 158 miles an hour uh, coming towards us. So he is well above the stall speed and he is well (laughs) ready to go airborne. And you've seen cars, even NASCARs and Formula One cars, when they uh, wipe out and go upside down, go inverted and they become little aircraft, their wings are flying and, and they'll go airborne. Can you imagine what this car would have been like had he lost control, hit a bump, hit gone sideways, he would have been absolutely obliterated. And anyone who was in that vehicle would be you know, without question, no longer with us.
0: The charge, you talked about the charge, uh, it's street racing, but also stunt driving. What does that mean? What does that actually mean for the person who gets charged with that?
2: Well, those, num- those names can be used kind of interchangeably. Uh, Section 172 of the Highway Traffic Act talks about street racing and stunt driving. And, and basically, a stunt is is a whole different definition of different uh, categories. So stunt driving includes driving 50 kilometers or more over the speed limit. It also includes uh, one vehicle out-distancing other vehicles, attempting to gain advantage on other motorists that they're traveling with. It also involves two vehicles racing with one another through traffic, uh, a motorcycle who lifts a wheel, a vehicle who uh, accelerates and loses traction. The vehicle begins to spin. Uh, you throw a person in the back seat of your trunk, or sorry, you, put, you throw a person in the trunk of your car, uh, not on his feet, uh, that's a stunt. Uh, so all these kinds of things, and there's other definitions, there's other qualifications that include that, uh, will all land the driver in an automatic seven-day license suspension, seven-day vehicle impoundment, and penalties of $10,000.
0: Now, just out of curiosity, I I haven't heard of any of these leading to accidents. I'm sure some of them have, but with with what you described a moment ago, you're flying along doing 250 and someone changes lanes and you now slam into them and now someone dies. What does the charge change to?
2: Well, it could certainly uh, escalate up to uh, criminal code, uh, dangerous driving, which uh, includes penalties for prison time, incarceration, uh, obviously criminal records and so on uh civilly uh the penalties uh are always going to be there depending on what uh what counsel and and lawyers are going to be looking for your insurance companies will never look favorably upon people charged mm. with uh stunt driving or dangerous driving uh, and then you're living with it yourself uh, i don't care how remorseful you are uh this is something you have to live with and you just think back to uh uh, to the Humboldt crash where uh, the truck driver there, um, you know, appears to have uh, incredible remorse. But it doesn't matter. It's not going to change what's happened. And uh, and he has to pay a penalty. And just as these drivers here have to pay penalties. And, and very often if they are involved in Iraq, uh, there's not much, unfortunately, left to prosecute because they're very often – uh, one of those statistics when we talk about the leading causes of death on our highways.
0: Kerry, I only have 15 seconds, sadly. I wish we could do more on this, but you, this is a, a Highway Traffic Act thing more often than not, unless there's an accident. I know you're the guy who enforces the law, doesn't make it up, but w- would we be better if driving 50 or 60 or 70 over was actually a criminal code violation right off the bat?
2: Well, again, that's up for the uh, le- legislators to decide what's appropriate or not. You know, there's all kinds of people that are Uh, that are will advocate for or against uh, speed limits and what's appropriate what's not appropriate but we're sharing the roads with all kinds of motorists out there and we can't have people taking liberties and taking privileges that aren't theirs to take and because very often it's the poor innocent victim who lands up uh, being the one who's going to get hurt uh, when a vehicle uh, slams into them so we see it all the time and you're going to see updates when we're talking about aggressive driving um you know, in terms of what's appropriate or not, you know, we're going to hold these people accountable to the law. And if the laws need to change, well, that's up for the government and the legislators to make those changes.
0: Wish we had more time. Uh, Sergeant Kerry Schmidt from the OPP, appreciate your time today. Thanks for doing this. Anytime, thanks. Uh, you could follow him on Twitter and get seemingly constant updates on more idiots who are driving like this. Seems to happen every night now.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Bizarre couple of stories that were published on the weekend. And when I say bizarre, bizarre in the worst possible way. In one of the stories, uh, a lawyer representing the Kenora Children's Aid Society, the children's representing the Children's Aid Society, wrote that 14 and 15 year old girls are sexually mature women. Let's ponder that one for a second. And in the, in the other story, which I don't know that I can gauge which one was more disturbing Barbara Streisand the singer there's not another Barbara Streisand she was talking to a British newspaper while she was over there for a concert and they got on to the topic of Michael Jackson in the wake of the leaving Neverland documentary uh, which outlined credible versions of sexual abuse on young boys by him once upon a time the the stars if you want to call it that of this documentary were those young boys now as adults Uh, Here's what Barbara Streisand said. This is a quote. His sexual needs were his sexual needs coming from whatever childhood he has or whatever DNA he has. You can say molested but those children as you heard say they were thrilled to be there. They both married and they have children so it didn't kill them. If your head is exploding right now like mine is it's unbelievable. Uh, Then she went on Barbara Streisand went on to blame the parents for letting it all happen. Now Since these stories came out, the CAS lawyer has been fired and the CAS has apologized and Streisand has backtracked at all kinds of record speeds and now says she didn't choose her words carefully enough and those weren't her true feelings. Okay, whatever. Uh, Nonetheless, these are stunning things and it it does make you wonder what is going on. Uh, Loretta Merritt is a lawyer with Torkin mains. She has a long history of representing abuse survivors. She joins us. Now, Loretta, thanks for doing this today.
3: Oh, yeah. My pleasure.
0: Uh, These seem on their face like two comments from two different people who should know better, even if they've been recanted, that seem to fall into the category of things that nobody would have ever considered saying, at least nobody with any common sense. Are we having an attitude change, or is this just two people who said really, really stupid things?
3: Well, I think and hope it's probably the latter. I mean, excusing the perpetrator and blaming the victim Uh, is never okay uh, in cases of childhood sexual abuse. Um, That was more common in decades past. We see it less and less today. Um, And I would certainly hope these are two isolated incidents.
0: So it's not you don't believe it's some sort of micro view that we're becoming more sympathetic or that we're, we're finding nuance in these things where before maybe we would have said, no, in every case it's absolutely wrong that maybe now we're trying to find some, you know, there are times when maybe this isn't so bad.
3: Well, I mean, when lawyers are defending uh, a a legal case, they're of course going to look for anything they can to to defend and, and represent their client. But I mean, it's, it's clear now that the CAS has apologized and terminated the services of one of the lawyers handling this case for making these comments. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that's uh, a clear statement what their view of the situation is. Anyone under 18 is a child. I mean, it's a shame it took them so long to rectify the situation. Uh, given that they were aware of the statements made by the lawyer in in either the summer or early fall of 2018. So it took them a long time, but uh, hopefully now they're going to hire a lawyer who uh, has experience defending these kinds of cases. And, uh, you know, while they do have a right to defend them, hopefully they'll hire somebody who won't engage in uh, delay tactics or uh, uh, making statements that, in effect, re-victimize the victim's. Well, I
0: I mean, I'm not going to ask you, certainly as a lawyer, you especially, you know, you don't ask people to go into the minds of other people and try and guess what they were thinking. But what really sort of strikes me about this is somehow, some way, somebody, some people thought this was an acceptable position to take. And I'm, I'm just really puzzled by that.
3: I'm really puzzled by, even if it were true in this case, like let's say the plaintiff in this case, when she was 14, had previously engaged in some kind of consensual sexual activity let's say with a 14 year old boyfriend even if that's true I'm having real trouble understanding how that could possibly be relevant in a case where she now is suing because she says she was raped when she was 14 by her 40 year old stepfather so you know Aside from rape shield laws, which say that the prior sexual behavior uh, you know, of, of a, a person who's sexually assaulted is not relevant in a criminal case, aside from that whole way of thinking, it's just a real stretch of the imagination to, to think that a court would ever find consent when it's a 14-year-old being raped by her stepfather who's 40.
0: Well and we do have um statutory rape laws that are still in place so even if you somehow think this is this is what's coming to mind for me even if you think somehow that there's a defense for this the law specifically lays out the fact that no that's that's just not
1: allowed Right You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML We're
0: Talking with Loretta Merritt who is a lawyer with Torkin Mains she has long represented People who have been victims of abuse and sexual assault, and we're we're talking about this because of some comments made over the last few days, one by Barbara Streisand, one by a lawyer representing the Children's Aid Society up in Kenora, that really caused a lot of people to scratch their heads about what uh, about youthful sexual assault. And and uh, Loretta, what, let's go through a few of these things. And again, from from your experience as a lawyer representing these, when Barbara Streisand came up with the line that said and i want to read the line exactly so i get this one right because this was part of the interview uh you can say molested but those children as you heard um uh, they were thrilled to be there kind of gives the perception or the, the the view that you know in certain cases you it's not so bad you were you were happy to be involved in this kind of thing it, it, it's it's kind of stunning but it also turns it into the victim's fault
3: yeah it's it's very disturbing any kind of victim blaming it's it's extremely common for pedophiles uh, to become experts at grooming children and offering them all sorts of inducements. I mean, one of the earliest cases I was involved in was the Maple Leaf Gardens case, mm. and uh, there they were giving boys access to tickets or, or seats to see the Maple Leafs, pucks as souvenirs, hockey sticks signed by the players, um, etc. And and those kind of inducements, uh, which lured in the children, um, were, were very common. Uh, but, but did uh,
0: anybody blame the children at that time, or was it clear that those were the adults?
3: Yeah, th- that's the point. No matter what kind of inducements are offered up, what kind of benefits, um, it's a complete power imbalance. You have a you have a pedophile who's an expert at grooming children and and gradually desensitizing them to inappropriate conduct. Uh, you know, it's 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 in no way fair to blame the child. And the saddest part of the whole thing is, many 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 children who are abused grow up keeping it a secret, believing that it's their fault, believing that they should have stopped it or that they should have done something different or thinking that there's something wrong with them, that they were chosen uh, as a target. And uh, this whole self-blame and shame is exacerbated when people make stupid comments.
0: Well, and and while the child being the victim, that would be the worst situation, obviously, I would think that... Somewhere not far behind it would be if you are a parent, a well-meaning parent who um, is told that it's your fault that your kid was sexually assaulted, which seems to be the next point that is made here, which just, again, baffles me.
3: Yeah, it's every parent's worst nightmare. And, uh, you know, in, in cases where a child is sexually assaulted by a trusted adult, you know, it, it it could be easy to point the, the, the blame at the victim's parents. Why would they let them have this close relationship, etc.? But again, these pedophiles are experts at manipulating the situation. Uh, you know, it, the way I see it, the parents were, were likely duped, and they're also victims.
0: Are there ever cases where you can... And I'm not talking about where the parent is the perpetrator, but is are there ever cases where you can point at the parent and say, come on, what were you doing?
3: Well, sure, there have been some cases where, for example the mother knew that the father was sexually assaulting their children Mm. in in their home. And the mother turned a blind eye and didn't stop it. And courts of health, the mother owes a duty to the children to take action and step in in that situation. But that's very, very different than having a situation where you have a trusted adult who's a family friend who befriended the child and the family usually, because that's often how they do it. Um, and and that person is all often cloaked with some kind of legitimacy, either because they are in a position of authority, uh, whether it be a police officer or a school teacher, a Boy Scout leader or a priest or whatever, or in the case of uh, uh, the Barbara Streisand's comments, a famous celebrity who everyone thinks is beyond reproach.
0: And, and I just watched a documentary a few day a few weeks ago on Netflix called um, "Abducted in Plain Sight" and. In that one, the parents pretty much did everything possible wrong that allowed their daughter to be abused, and yet I'm not entirely sure. I'm still trying to figure out what I think about the parents because I don't think it was malicious. I think they were either really naive or really not... There didn't seem to be a malicious motive there. They were just really not aware, apparently, of what might be happening.
3: Well, you've got to remember that this is a relatively new public conversation we're having, right? I mean, it started to some extent with the, uh, the, the scandal in Boston um, that was highlighted in the movie Spotlight with the Catholic right. Church. Um, but even then, it wasn't mainstream dialogue. Um, it's really only a conversation that has exploded in the last few years as a result of the Me Too movement, and so many people talking about it in so many ways.
0: The other thing, the third thing that comes from this is the quote, and and I'm going to go back to the quote from, again, from Barbara Streisand, and I don't know that this is, I think there may be more people who feel this way than we know about, although I hope not. Uh, She says, I feel bad for him when she's speaking of Michael Jackson. And it almost makes you, it, it's almost a sense that, you know, she said, he had needs, that there may be some people out there who feel like, you know what, yeah, these people, they, they've got to look out for their needs somehow. And if the kid's willing to go along, then what's the big deal? It, it's sickening, but I, I believe there are people out there who believe that.
3: Well, I think there's obviously something seriously wrong with anybody who molests a child. And, you know, they're, they're obviously, in, in my view, suffering from mental illness, right? Um, And there's something very, very, very wrong with somebody who hurts a child. Um, Do I feel sorry for such a person? Perhaps, but that level of pity or sorrow is a drop in the, you know, bucket uh, compared to the ocean of pain and sympathy, uh, and empathy that I have for the person who's been assaulted. So, you know, it just can't compare.
0: Uh, well said. Uh, Loretta Merritt with Torkin Mains, a lawyer who has long represented victims of these things. I really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. I, I just, I'm sorry. I, I can't imagine anything meaner, really, than trying to turn around a case of sexual assault and make it the fault of the victim. I just can't. And You know, Barbara Streisand is a huge celebrity. She's been around forever. She is a liberal goddess. They all, I mean, but this is the kind of thing that I don't care how you backtrack. There was no way, she didn't misspeak. She said what she said and now she's trying to bail out of it. And it's sickening. And I'm hoping that people are going to hold her to account for this because these are comments That is not a word missing in a sentence. It's not two words missing. It's not a slight twist of a word that made the meaning different. She said what she said. Go read it with caution because it will make you sick.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Let me bring in Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys, of Calm Choice Realty, of so many other things in the Valley Town.
4: Anything that's going on, I'll help with. It's true. Or hurt. It's true. I like that One album. way or another, <laughs> Could
0: be your new model.
4: Uh,
0: we got a lot of stuff to get to. Don's here every Monday to talk sports for the second hour of the show. Uh, did you? You're a hockey guy first and foremost. I understand that. You got some baseball in the background too. Any basketball in the? Any basketball interest? Did you
4: watch any of March Madness on the weekend? A little bit. Yeah, I think that is the most exciting tournament in the world. See, that's what I was going
0: to ask you. I after watching now, if if anyone didn't watch, that's okay. But yesterday afternoon, there was a game between Tennessee and Iowa. Tennessee was up by 25 at the half. Game goes to overtime. Just an unbelievable finish that Iowa comes all the way back. And then Duke plays against UCF. Not UFC. UFC is a fighting organization. UCF is University of California Fresno. Duke is the number one seed in the whole tournament. And they held on because a ball rolled around the rim and rolled around the rim and, boom, fell out at the end. They would have lost. I was going to ask you if there is a more exciting event in sports.
4: Sure, lots of them. I'm kidding. No, I... I, I okay. open with that. It is. Mm-hmm. And and we, one of the things in my mind that keeps it the most exciting, first of all, there's thousands of people in, in every building that they play in. Right. So the atmosphere is uh, second to none. They don't get paid, and they're kids. That you know of. Well, <laughs> they're not making millions yet. You're that right. That you know no, of. They, they get, yeah, they get, they get well taken care of. I, I think I watched sixty minutes about that the other night. Anyway, it's um, it's, it's because they're kids, and you never know on any given night, and, you know, one of the real, and it is only one given night. That's right. So it's winner take all, and they can get on a roll and beat two or three top seeds, and then lay the egg. Everybody expected them to lay two or three games ago. And all those other guys, those top seeds they beat out going, why didn't they play like that against us? Because it's kids, and you don't know who's going to win, and that's what makes it exciting.
0: And it's especially kids now, because with basketball the way it is, you've got so many kids coming out early to go into the NBA, the top players anyway. So you have, once upon a time, I mean, back in the days of Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or Bill Walton, or whomever, Wilt Chamberlain, they were there for four years. And they were men by the time yeah. they finished. Now it
4: really is, in well, many cases, kids. Well, LeBron went from high school to the yeah, NBA. they not allowed to do that anymore, but yeah. Yeah, well, he was a man among men Kevin
0: Garnett did the same thing. Kobe Bryant did the
4: same thing. A bunch of guys did yeah. the same thing. can't do that anymore. Which I find odd.
0: I mean, you, if you're you, good
4: you enough, yeah, why can't you? It's the same as the National Hockey League. If you're an 18-year-old, they can put you in the NHL if you – if you didn't come through the Canadian Hockey League, they can put you in the NHL and then send you back to their American League team if they want to.
0: Not if you're 18. It can't be 19.
4: If you no, you got to be 20. If you're a North American, no, you got to be 20 to go to the AHL. Did I say I, I didn't mean to say North Americans? I, I meant oh. if you're from Europe. Yes, from Europe. Yes, a uh, uh, Nilander, for example, yeah. who is playing in the elite Sweden League. And he's 18, and he gets drafted. He can come to the Leaps. If he's not playing well, he can put him in the American League. It's kind of an odd situation. Yeah, but so if I you're North American, you can't. You have to go to your junior team or that's the right. NHL. But but I'm saying it's it's different with yeah. the Europeans. So if you can do that, a long way to Tipperary here. I don't understand in the uh, land of the free that if you're 17 years old and you're good enough to play. I mean, they they, they have 17 year olds playing baseball.
0: Uh, pro baseball, year. sure. Yeah. Uh, well,
4: you, you, again, you come in from the Dominican, though. But I think if you're good enough, the Blue Jays would have you playing. In, in no, and there's a. Six, there's there's high
0: school kids that get so uh, but that why get can't size. they? So why I don't know he... the reason. I don't. The, it went to court. There. Uh, I don't remember the reason why. And in fact, it wasn't just that you can't just go. Um. Yeah. You, I mean, you you can't go. You got to go to university now for at least a year. And in football, I believe it's at least two years. And I don't think you can come out after one in football. Um. I don't know. I don't know the reason why it's an interesting one. I don't know if it's just an agreement with the NCAA because it, if you – It may be. Uh, if you take all the – because all of a sudden everybody would do it. There's so much money in basketball now. Yeah. Why would anybody go to college?
4: Well, and the, and, and the NBA and the NFL both have free uh, farm systems. Like they're not paying the universities to develop these players' for them. So they're all getting developed for free. So maybe the NCAA said, wait a minute, you got to cut us some slack here. I mean, you're killing us. And they, might, they may have had some empathy for them. It is,
0: to, to me, and, and I'm not, there was a time when I basically cleared out my march so that I could watch every bit of March Madness. There was a time. Now, that was, honestly, Don, it goes to your point. That was a time... When most guys were staying, and I'm only talking back in the 80s. I mean, I'm not talking back in the black and white era of television when it was, as I say, Lou Alcindor. <laughs> Even back in the 80s, you had more often than not guys staying for four years. Yep. And
4: you knew what the team was year after year. There was a lot of money back in the black and white television, you were talking about when I grew up. Um, there was a lot of money to play in the NBA, but not like now. Not like now not like now and like so you can retire on signing bonuses now easily easily right? so but it is easily to go back to the original question i think it's the most exciting tournament on the planet i like the i like the
0: stanley cup playoffs as the best sporting thing but as far as exciting, as far as every game you have to tune into, or many of the games you have to turn into, I don't think that you can beat March Madness because of what you said. Because it's one game, because it's unpredictable, and because for whatever reason, so often there are crazy things that happen.
4: But the we'll talk about the NHL tournament in a second. Uh, but the NB or the NCAA March Madness, it's one of the parts of the excitement. Is if you lose, you go home. Yes. Yep. Right, The Leafs can be down 3-0 to Boston and still win the series. You lose your game in March Madness. It's It, it doesn't matter if you're a triple-A rating. Yeah, well, it's it's, sorry about your luck and go home, like so Duke. Uh, until last year,
0: no. the way it's all seated, and I'm assuming that most people understand, that it's four different brackets with seedings of 1 through 16 and one plays 16 and two plays 15 and on. on. Until last year, no number one seed had ever lost to a 16 seed in a first round match. In all the years they have done this, it didn't happen. So last year, Virginia ends up losing to a 16 seed. First time in history. This year, Virginia is seeded number one in their conference again, in their bracket. And at halftime, they're down by, I think, 14 or 16 points to a 16 seed. I wish we had cameras in that dressing room. To see what the level of panic was that you could maybe, it's never happened in history and we're on
4: course to do do it it
0: twice. They ended up coming out of the dressing room and rather than folding, they turned it on and just obliterated the other team in the second half and won. But again, that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm talking about where you look and you go, these are young guys. These are young kids Mm -hmm. and the level of pressure that would have been on those guys. If they had come out for that second half and started slowly and the lead had gotten even bigger, it would have been
4: unbelievable to watch that. The motivation that the coaches possess at that level during the halftime is equal to very few things in sports. The coach can go in there and lose his mind and start talking about the hundreds of millions of dollars you guys are going to cost yourself if you blow this again. There isn't a scout in this st- stadium that's going to draft any of you guys. I mean, uh, I could write the speech. It would be pretty cool. Yes, and I just, by the way, I just got corrected that UCF
0: is not University of California, Fresno, which I had said, which for some reason, it's University of Central Florida. Yes, so. I didn't want to correct you. Yeah, oops on me, sorry. And thank you to, who is it, Paul, who called in? Thank you to Paul for correcting me. I never mind when you correct me. I mean, I, I'm going to make mistakes, and I do. So thank you, Paul, for fixing that one. Don't watch make the, me. Watch the lines light up now. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's right. Look, every line is lit up. <laughs> uh, that would not they be, can try and correct me, but I don't care. That would be that would not be the, hey, look, it's. Uh, I don't mind when I'm, I'd rather be corrected than just hang out there blowing in the breeze yeah. looking like a giant wiener.
4: The... So <laughs> thank you, Paul. That's a whole other story. So <laughs> the NHL tournament. Yes. Is, to me, the most grueling tournament yes. in professional sports. It's like seems like it's six months long. Yep. I'm they're sure gonna, for the players it feels like They're going to start in the middle of April. They're going to crisscross North America, play in all kinds of different time zones. They're professional athletes, and it is a war out there. My, one of the things
0: that I always remember... I,
4: you have to win 16 games to win the Stanley Cup championship. That's I a can't lot
0: remember who the person was, although I think, if I recall correctly, I think it was Jason Smith who played for the Leafs for a time and then became the captain of the Edmonton Oilers. And the story goes that, and this, this to me was absolutely indicative of what the Stanley Cup playoffs are about. He got cut somehow with either a stick or a puck and sl- split his lip right up to his nostril so that it was basically just a flapping open and he was supposed to go to the dressing room or go to the infirmary or whatever and get himself stitched up and he stood and I'm sure I think it was Jason Smith I could be wrong but whoever the guy was stood in the hallway behind the bench and told the doctor to stitch him up there and the guy doctor didn't have freezing he goes stitch me up and he stood there and got stitched up and missed about four shifts rather than missing a period or two and I'm thinking in most other sports maybe not football but even in football, I don't know. But in most other sports, if you had that kind of thing, you would be gone for a half at least, probably a game.
4: NBA NBA player would be gone for six weeks.
0: Well, I don't know. I, I mean, you would have certainly missed p- probably most of the rest of the game. You
4: Understandably. Would not have st-
0: you would not have stood there and just been, you know, doing. It was like Killer Carlson and Slapshot. Just stitch me up.
4: Let me go. Hockey players are the toughest athletes in the world.
0: So, your choice. You said that March Madness is the most exciting. If you could only watch one, March Madness or the World Junior Tournament? World Junior. All right. A- a- is that be- just- it's, I'm a hockey your guy. You're a hockey guy. Okay. That's fine. Uh, uh, oh, we got more calls. But I think so, I must have said something else wrong.
4: i <laughs> <laughs> the lines and laid up. Yep. Wait a at me. I, that's only because I'm hockey and I would understand the sport better and I would- um But again, the reason the world Junior gold medal game is so good because they're kids. And they and see kids, Young athletes, mistakes. they make. That's right. They make more mistakes, so it makes it more exciting because you want to see what happens after the mistake's done. And they have brain cramps. Here's the debate that I've always had, and I don't think there's an answer for this one. In fact,
0: I know there's not an answer, but the question was posed once upon a time. If you played a perfect game, if two teams played a perfect game in, let's say, hockey, if two teams played a perfect game in hockey, would the score be 100 to 100 or 0-0? It would probably be around 4-2. Well, you couldn't because then somebody has made sure one more mistake than the others. Deflections? Uh, that's not perfect then because the goalie wasn't perfect. But who's better? The, are the shooters perfect or is the goalie perfect? It's one of these great things. Of, well,
4: I, I would have to err with the goaltenders.
0: Uh, I want to tell you one, Mar- I was going to tell you one March Madness story before we go. Years ago, there was, I, I can't remember how many years now, 9, 2000 maybe? I don't know when it was. March Madness came to Buffalo for the first time maybe ever. At, their, at what was then their new arena, the uh, where the Sabres play, and the MAC conference that the Buffalo, University of Buffalo plays in they were hosting. And so they put, they knew this was going to be popular, and they took out an ad in the spectator and put a ballot in the spectator that you could clip out, enter your name, your address, all the stuff, and put down your visa number, and they sent it away. And they were expecting that they were going to get tens of thousands of people trying to get tickets for this thing so they thought they better do it with a draw and they did get a lot of people applying but anyway so there's 16,000 seats probably 10,000 are taken up by other schools and NCAA and blah 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 so there's probably 6 or 7,000 tickets available for all these ballots and I really wanted to go my buddy and I really wanted to go so one day at the paper I went and grabbed I don't know, 10 copies of the paper from downstairs and went home and (laughs) clipped out. And if you, when you entered your ballot, you put your visa number and everything. And if you got your number drawn, it automatically came out of visa. Like you didn't have a choice of, do I want to buy it? It was, you had bought it and it was for all the games. It was a package for all the games that were being played. And back then, I think there were, uh, it was either three or five games. Anyway, um, so I fill out 10 or 12 ballots, put the visa number on there. And probably seven or eight weeks later, I come home from work. And my wife, who is lovely and always kind and always welcomes me home nicely. recognition you married an idiot. Is at the door going, what did you spend 1500 and something <laughs> dollars on? And I was like, I, I, I didn't. I didn't spend a dime. She goes, it's on the visa. What is it? And I said, I, I didn't spend anything. I haven't used the visa for days. She pulls it up, and it's like Don Robertson Incorporated or something. It didn't say NCAA. It just said Don. It was the name of the company that I guess was handling the whole thing. Well, it turns out I won seven times. <laughs> I now had seven oh. sets of tickets for seven <laughs> pairs of tickets for every single game. Which had not been the plan. (laughs) Oh, that was an interesting few days trying to find people to sell those tickets to so that I was able to maintain my marriage. (laughs) Were you able to
4: peddle enough to get yours for free?
0: Uh, No, but I I sold them at face value and uh, I kept my two. But I was just so thankful I was able to find people that would take those tickets off my hands because that may have been the end of my marriage. At that point in our marriage... $14 14 or $1,500 was not something that was just, ah, whatever.
3: <laughs>
0: it's the last time I ever entered, I think, a ballot for anything with my visa number attached as a guaranteed you must do it. Anyway, <laughs> I believe March Madness is coming back to Buffalo in two years. So just maybe one
1: ballot will do it.
0: Yeah, see if I know someone this time.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don, we were watching the well, all season long, especially the second half of the season, we've been watching the Carolina Hurricanes when they win games do more and more yep. over-the-top. I was going to say ridiculous, but I, I won't. Ridiculous suggests that people don't like it. People, there are a lot of people that like it. There are some people that don't like it. But over-the-top is a more of an objective view, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. It's pretty over-the-top, some Things of the Things that stuff. make
4: their players look like jerks, some people say.
0: Some people would say that. Uh, last two games ago, they brought out a basketball net and had a little mini basketball game in honor of March Madness, which is big down in Carolina. Uh, Last game they were fishing and caught a player. You got to watch these things on YouTube or wherever else in order, if you don't know what we're talking about. The fact, though, that, okay, so the Carolina Hurricanes do this, that's fine. We can disagree or agree on whether or not this is appropriate for the NHL. Is this the kind of thing that teams like the Hamilton Bulldogs should be rather than if they are turning their nose up at it, to be looking to do more of? If you're a junior team, if you're a team that's trying to attract attention, trying to engage the fans, is this the kind of thing you should
4: be looking to do? If you're trying to sell tickets and that sells tickets and it doesn't embarrass the game and it doesn't embarrass your players and it provides entertainment value, you're in the entertainment business. The old, uh, um, you'll remember the days when I ran the Brantford Smoke and Minor Pro Hockey up in Brantford. I took off and went down to Cincinnati and went to two or three different East Coast League teams, and the stuff that they did between periods was as entertaining as the hockey was. And they went all out. Now, it was minor. And I think minor, Minor Pro Baseball do the same thing. Yep. But they just add to it. I think the thing that's a bit astonishing, and some people are taken back by it, Is this is the major leagues, Mm -hmm. and some people think there should be a rule that major league teams can't entertain their fans any other way other than to play the game. Well,
0: they behave. the, The view would be that many people have is you you behave with great decorum. That you, it's very serious, and the entertainment is the product on the ice, not the peripheral stuff around it. That would be the view that seemingly a number of people will hold but i don't and whether you want to hold that or not that's entirely fine I, like the people who are listening if you believe that what they're doing is goofy and has no place in the game i'm not going to i don't care that that's fine that you have that view i'm not minding but we're not talking about the nhl here we're talking about the ohl and we're talking about a team that is trying to draw attention
4: yeah, i think what bit- is
0: the level what what would be the cutoff of things maybe that's too broad a question it, is something like this out of out of bounds for a team in the ohl
4: I don't think it is, and the, the the thing that strikes me is it's clear that the uh, Carolina Hurricanes choreograph and talk about this beforehand. Oh, of course. Because this, um, this is not ad lib. I mean, they know what they're doing. It started out as lib, but it's not anymore. No, sure. I mean, they're uh, um, improv. Yep. It's not improv. Nope. They know what they're doing. I think if... Uh, an OHL team started doing that and it caught on, there would almost be competitions for it. it. See, it oddly enough, and I'm as traditionalist as anybody is when it comes to a lot of... If there's entertainment value and the people that don't want to watch it, don't stay after the game. Like if you're not interested, but the the sports highlights are showing it. I watched it this morning at 6 o'clock, at, at the fishing thing. I'm going... Are you kidding me? I mean, it was funny to watch. But I don't think every team can pull it off. And I don't mean
0: personality-wise. I don't think that the Maple Leafs or the Canadians could do this because of the history of their franchise. I don't think that you do that kind of thing if you are one of those teams.
4: I think it and, – and therein may lie the fact that the OHL wouldn't want it done because they they're, have a lot of traditional franchises. All their franchises are quite old. I think the American – I think Phoenix can pull it off and and to cite an example first of all a lot of this a lot of sports telecasts are showing what they're doing so somebody thinks it's of interest last year during the Stanley Cup playoffs CBC did something that they'd never done before in sports. They were showing the intro to the uh, Golden Knight games in Vegas.
0: six and seven and eight minute long intros. They
4: showed the whole thing. Those guys coming out dressed like warriors and (laughs) people coming from the ceiling and people getting shot out of cannons. I mean, it was. And people were tuning in right at the beginning to see it. Including me. I'm going, this is nuts. And then you'd laugh and go, this is pretty good. No, I think Vegas, everybody expected it from Vegas. Can you imagine, you're right, let's use the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens, can you imagine if they tried that, there would be a national uproar? There would. And, 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 and
0: I don't have a problem with the idea that a team that has great, um, great tradition and great history, you don't do that stuff. I, I do think there is a decorum. I don't think you would do it if you were the New York Yankees. I don't think you would do it if you were the Boston Celtics. I think there are certain teams that just have such a history that you don't do that stuff. But that doesn't mean that all teams fall into the same category. And again, you're talking about Carolina, not exactly a hockey traditional hotbed. So what do you do to try and get
4: attention? Same as you say with Phoenix. I I have no problem with those places doing this stuff. I've been one... Carolina Hurricane game. It was Game Seven when they beat the Edmonton Oilers, and I'll tell you, it sure looked like a hockey market that night. It was very cool.
0: Well, any but place. I get it. You're right.
4: Yeah. And you know what? It would have been acceptable in Nashville when they first got started. Yep. Seemingly, but I don't their know. intros
0: in Nashville are still pretty cool. big time.
4: They're still big time. It's hard to do that 20 years in a row, 40 nights or 50 or 60 nights, depending on how, how you do in the playoffs. It's still hard to pull that off. I'm sure Vegas are doing it because they're the entertainment capital of yep. the world. But it, here's what I find interesting. So if we think it would be all right for the Carolina Hurricanes in a non-traditional hockey market to do it, how would it have been received by the NBA if the Toronto Raptors had it done things over the top because they're in a hockey country and the Vancouver Grizzlies. It's interesting. They I, probably would have got chastised maybe. By, by the American media. Yes. Right? Now, talking about non-traditional things, one of the guys- For making
0: a mockery yeah. and making it stupid and all the rest. Yes, you're right. They don't
4: understand the sport. They're yep. not trying to sell basketball. They're selling sizzle, not the steak. Well, you know what? The steak's a little tough right now Till we get rolling. It's not much of a steak to look at. It's interesting. I spoke with Brent Lads, our commissioner, uh, a couple of weeks ago. We, we had we had dinner when he was in town, and we talked about the Toronto Rock, and I was telling about one of the guys on our, our executive that used to go to the Toronto Rock games when they were in uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. And he said, do you, because c- he came back, all excited about it because of what the Rock do. I mean, they have a lot of fighting. Uh, they were putting 15,000 people in uh, Maple Leaf Gardens to watch this sport. Um the, the thing that caught him was they play the music loud during the whole game. Yeah, it never stops. Never stops. It's just the place is rocking all the time. Yeah, it's never quiet. And I said to Brent, could we do that in senior hockey? I mean, would that be offensive to people if we played music through the whole thing? And because our, our crowds are traditionally um, not millennials and not teenagers. So the better question might be, rather than, than the real McCoys, and you talk about the Hamilton Bulldogs, could the Hamilton Bulldogs pull that off to, to draw in a younger crowd? See, if you
0: were doing it, if the bull, if the real McCoys were going to do it, you first the first problem you have or the first challenge you have is what music? L- to play, L- honestly. Lawrence
4: Welk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but if you were the Bulldogs and you said, for, I, I do believe they probably have rules in the OHL. I've never actually
4: looked into this. Uh, But you would have to go for a... The OHA don't because Brandt was president for 40 years and I said, can you do it? And he said, I don't think there's any reason you can't. You would have to
0: find, if you're going to go for a younger audience, you got to play the the hip hop stuff and whatever else you were going to do that would, that it's on the charts that they want to listen to and that's fine. That'd be the, some of the other me lining it up, well, I'll tell you, because it would be Lawrence Welk. Well, but the, the the issue is with me, and we've got to go to a break in just a second here, when we raise this whole thing, Hamilton is not a traditional hockey market in the sense that we haven't had an NHL team here for years and years. We haven't. It's not an NHL market, but it's in southern Ontario. We know our hockey around here. People are familiar with the game. So it's not Carolina where you're trying to get people engaged. It's not Toronto where you have this long-time legendary franchise, even if they haven't won a lot.
4: Pretty stodgy, too.
0: It's somewhere in the middle, and I don't know if the Hamilton Bulldogs could get away with doing that stuff, but you want to know something? If I was them, I would want to try it. I would want to try some of this stuff and see if you can catch lightning in a bottle and see if you can get some traction with people who might not otherwise do it. And I don't know what it is. You know, you and I and them and whoever else, I mean, they, they would need to sit down for a while,
4: but I would want to try it. Uh, I don't tweet much. And so I tweeted some out on the weekend to my three followers. (laughs) Um, uh, I I think there are three, one of them may have dropped me. And I asked the question because I was heading home the other night, and I was listening to, um, I was, it was at work. So I was going home and listening to Jimmy Ralph and uh, Joe Bowen on the radio, which are all I find always entertaining. And I go home and I flip the game on. It was Saturday night. And I said, I'm looking at the game going, why do we have play by play for games on television? Radio, I get. I think it's a tradition that you have play-by-play-by radio. So people that are actually watching the game, we better tell them that Dave Keon's got the puck and he moved it to um, George Armstrong. But why? Why can't music play? They Why do we need to be told? I understand the game. They did a
0: football game a few years ago, where the NFL game or a CFL game, I can't remember which one, where they cut the play-by-play. You just watched the game. And I remember watching a little bit of it And I don't know that it was a bad idea. It was just jarring because you're so used to it.
4: But if you had the guys, if you had two guys in the booth and during the stoppage of play, they started talking about the power play and why why aren't they doing this and it looks like Radley's got to get stitched up or he's got a lower body injury, you could do that. But when the play comes back on, it, it, it escapes me why I have to be told Who has the puck and who's passing it to who? Because the people in the stands don't get that. They go and enjoy the game as much as anybody. When you've got the games now on so many different
0: platforms and you've got Sportsnet that has... How many channels does Sportsnet have now? 400. Something like that. And on a Saturday night, you've got... The Leafs will be on Hockey Night in Canada on CBC and they probably will be on one or two of the Sportsnet channels... And at times, like on the weekend, they did a game in Cree in the native language and they have a um, Punjabi um, Punjabi, uh, broadcast all the time. It's always struck me as interesting that while those are two really interesting and, and I applaud them for doing something different, really good ideas. You've got all these stations. Why do you not have a station to introduce hockey to people who don't know hockey? So you've got the you've got the the guys who, you know, you can tune in and you can listen to it if you're a regular hockey and whether you cut out the play by play guys or whatever else, but have one that is a teaching hockey when they say it's offside, have someone be able to explain what the offside was so that new Canadians, people who don't watch, maybe, you know, uh, wives of guys who watch and they haven't before, or husbands of women who haven't watched hockey and their for wives dummies seems to me that would that, include all, almost everybody. No, but let's put let's put a channel together where you can and and we're not gonna change it like week after week it's going to be the same thing it's introductory hockey week after week I bet you you build an audience
4: so NBC CBS all the early channels you talk to the guys that used to do the play-by-play and the color and everything else and in the intermissions a lot of it was pardon me a lot of it was teaching had the good fortune of, of golfing with uh, Brian McFarland years mm, ago wonderful guy Peter Puck yep NBC bought Peter Puck. And the reason NBC bought Peter Puck is because they, on those, not in Canada, but on the American broadcast, it would show Peter Puck would do an icing, Peter Puck would do an offside. They use it as a teaching tool. Now, it's not to the level you're talking about, but it, it brings an interesting thought to the game that people that say, I don't understand hockey, so I don't watch it. Well, watch it on Channel 4. And it, rather than do play-by-play, they'll say, here's why they did that. One of the problems would be with hockey, and I know we're supposed to go to a break, but is it's so fast.
0: Yep. It's so fast, and you would have to have a second crew, and you'd have to have some other people It would be costly. But I wonder, if even, even if you did it once a month, we're going to have the learning, the hockey learning session and you have the people and they've got queued up highlights of here's why it was
4: offside or was it or whatever. I, mm, it's I think it would be a lot more fun to let me do color and say, what is the coach thinking? Why is Radley out on the left wing? He doesn't even know where the left wing is. And he can't skate. And why wouldn't he pass the puck and he doesn't shoot it? What Because he's a puck hog. Guys? There's lots of reasons.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900CHML.
0: Here's one that is a little uncomfortable question for Canadian hockey fans, not for Leaf fans or Montreal fans necessarily. Which is the more dysfunctional franchise, the Ottawa Senators or the Edmonton Oilers? Edmonton. More dysfunctional? Yeah.
4: Why? They have had more opportunity with high round draft picks. I mean, they got tired of Taylor Hall, traded him to New Jersey, who led the league in scoring and became the MVP last year. Yeah, that was a good trade. So, I mean, I can stop there. Jordan is playing in uh, uh, the Islanders now. They have had an ample opportunity to rebuild and have failed. And Kevin Lowe, I would call Kevin Lowe a friend of mine. Um, and, you know, I think he was on the right track. Um, he, is it Yakupov Nail? How do you say his name? Nail Yakupov, yep. Nail Yakupov? I mean, that was a brilliant disaster. first overall pick. At least Ottawa don't have, they haven't run, run through a collection of first round draft picks and have absolutely nothing to show for
0: No, them. they just look like they've got an owner who is determined to get in the way of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it looks like. I, I, Eugene Melnick. Yeah. Yeah. He it look, it looks like he's not happy unless he is creating chaos. I mean, why he goes well, he and does happy. why why he goes and does these interviews, knowing that he's just going to be throwing bombs into everything. Because he's got to know that by now. Every
4: time he opens his mouth, he creates another bomb. Yeah, you know what I think? Like, you're, if you're talking about the Leafs, and we got defense. We're not going to be able to fold. You know, everybody in Ottawa hates the Leafs, so he's playing to. Yeah, but you're so hated now by your own fans that they may, you may even turn them into Leaf fans. <laughs>
0: yeah. They may all decide just to get even with Melnick. I, uh, I just neither of these teams. Looks I, Well, with the Oilers, and I don't disagree with you, I think Ottawa has a goofy owner. Edmonton looks dysfunctional. If I'm Edmonton and I was Daryl Cates who owns that team, the first thing I say it'll be painful is if you have ever played for the Edmonton Oilers, particularly in the dynasty years, you are not permitted to ho- have a job here. Because it's the old guys from all those teams, and I know you're friends with Kevin Lowe, but since those guys have gathered because Paul Coffey is on with some sort of thing and Gretzky is in there somehow and Glenn Anderson I think and just clear them out. Let's let's just those guys we love you you did amazing things for this franchise you are not allowed to be part of building this team because you suck at it.
4: So how do you define what do you say uh, the, the term you use for the Ottawa owner? Goofy? Um, yeah. So would that put him in a class of his own because he speaks? Because the owner of the Edmonton Oilers, you... You never hear from him. ...doesn't speak publicly, doesn't do public appearances, and look at the results. How do you define goofy? Uh, it's, as I say, it seems to me that Melnick thrives
0: on creating chaos. And if you are working for him, how do you work in that system where you don't know day-to-day what your owner is going to do? You may not know what Daryl Cates is going to do, but he's not going to do much, it seems like, at least not publicly.
4: He seems very hands-off.
0: He does seem like it to the point maybe he needs to be a little more hands-on. I don't know. I I don't know how he operates. But, no, Melnick seems like this is a guy who wants chaos around him.
1: The Scott Radley Show. weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.